So before I start with Ezra 3, I want to give a little bit of a history lesson because we don't often turn to these parts of scripture. There's a lot that we read from Genesis or Exodus, and churches in general like to spend a lot of time in the New Testament because the stories and the teachings of Jesus and his disciples often feel the most gracious, the most relevant. But we have before us this book of scripture in its entirety because each of these words are good and useful for our learning. They help us see God's faithfulness. So at the beginning of the Old Testament, we see how Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. And we read the stories of the difficulties of their people. We read how they were gathered together, how Abraham made a covenant with God that God would be faithful to his descendants. Then we see how Abraham's descendants were enslaved in Egypt, but that under Moses, God led them free. The people then wandered the wilderness before God led Joshua to bring the people into the promised land and they made their home there. We then see how eventually the people called for a king and God raised up leaders. We come to the stories of King David who is said to be a man after God's own heart. We read of the covenant that God made with King David that his descendants would sit on the throne, that his kingdom would last forever. But then as we continue reading, we see that the kingdom of David does not appear to stand. It is broken into the north kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. These divided kingdoms then begin to face pressure from outside empires. The Assyrian Empire comes and destroys the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom of Judah hangs on until the Babylonian Empire comes and overthrows the Assyrian Empire and eventually comes south. It destroys the city of Jerusalem. All of the precious elements in the temple are pillaged and the temple itself is completely destroyed, raised to the ground. And the people of Judah are brought into exile in Babylon. Through the prophet Jeremiah, God spoke to his people that a day would come when he would regather them and that the temple would be rebuilt. The Persian Empire comes along, and it is here that we see God's word come to fruition. Under Cyrus, a decree is given that the people of Israel might return to their home and even rebuild their temple. And that is where the book of Ezra picks up. 
these exiles who have been away from home are now returning to this land that is destroyed. Their homes are gone. There's no walls for protection. And even the temple, the temple in Jerusalem where they worship God, is still destroyed. This is where we pick up in chapter 3. So this morning we'll read Ezra chapter 3 in its entirety, verses 1 through 13. When the seventh month came and the Israelites were in the towns, the people gathered together in Jerusalem. Then Yeshua, son of Jehozadak, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, with his kin, set out to build the altar of the God of Israel, to offer burnt offerings on it, as prescribed in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set up the altar on its foundation because they were in dread of the neighboring peoples and they offered burnt offerings upon it to the Lord morning and evening. As they kept up the festival of booths as prescribed and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the ordinance as required for each day. And after that, the regular burnt offerings the offerings at the new moon and at all the sacred festivals of the Lord and the offerings of everyone who made a free will offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea, to Yopa, according to the grant they had from King Cyrus of Persia. In the second year after their arrival at the house of God of Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, son of Sheatiel, and Yeshua, son of Yozadak, made a beginning together with the rest of their people the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to have the oversight of the work on the house of the Lord. And Yeshua with his sons and his kin, and Cadmiel and his sons, along with the sons of Henadad, the Levites, their sons and kin, together took charge of the workers in the house of God. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments were stationed to praise the Lord with trumpets. And the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals, according to the directions of King David of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people responded with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of families, old people who had seen the first house on its foundations, wept with a loud voice when they saw this house, though many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout 
from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted so loudly that the sound was heard far away. This is the word of the Lord. We give thanks for it. So at first glance, this scripture might seem slightly out of date. The people are gathering together to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, the gathering place for the people of Israel in that time, where they could come together to praise God. Now we today who live under the grace of Jesus Christ, who have access to the Holy Spirit, know that we are able to worship God anywhere. And yet, these words speak truths that still echo through the ages for us today. The scripture this morning begins with the people coming to build the altar that place where they came to offer sacrifices to God. And we see that they set it up on its foundation. Now, as I mentioned when we were going through the history of the people of Israel, that the temple in Jerusalem, that original temple that had been built, was destroyed. But as we see even today, we can go around town and find places, even on our church property here, where foundations remain. Much of what is above the ground is gone, but the rock that made up the foundation is still there. And that is what the altar is built upon. Though the people of Israel had been scattered, had been out of Jerusalem, when they come back, they seek to follow the rules that God had given them for right worship. They seek to connect to their past, to those better days when they felt at peace in their relationship with God when the temple worship was flourishing. So their very first step is to connect to the good things of their past and to build upon that. And the first thing they do is put up the altar where they come and they thank God for his blessings and they offer sacrifices in his name to honor and glorify God. These people are coming back to Jerusalem. It is not a city that is just waiting for them to check into the hotels or to unlock doors of houses that have been closed. The city was demolished. The building and restoration of Jerusalem is going to take decades. But the first thing that the people do is they come together, they gather in Jerusalem, and they rebuild the altar on its foundations. We know that 
the temple, the rest of the building around the altar, its foundations have not even been restored yet. But the altar, that is set in its place. And the people begin this daily ritual of morning and evening sacrifices, as was prescribed for them in Moses' law. The world around them has fallen down, and they are seeking the way forward. Everything is different. Everything is new. But they shape their days and their community by worship of God. These words that we find in Ezra and Nehemiah perhaps are more relevant for us now than any other time that a lot of us can think of in our lives. We find ourselves in the midst of a season where we are not always able to access our buildings of worship. We are finding new ways to engage each other as a community new ways to come before God and offer him worship. But the truth for us this morning is that the foundation of worship, our access to God, is still there. All of the other parts of our communal worship, all of the traditions and the rituals, the physical, tangible things that we have built up in our relationship with God and how we do church today. Many of these have been stripped away. But the foundation of our worship, the root of our relationship with God, is still there. Now, as Christians today, our foundation is not the foundation stones of the altar of the temple. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. But the truth that is still true for us today, as it was for the people of Israel, is that no matter what else is stripped away, no matter what is closed off to us for a season, The truth of the grace of Jesus Christ is there. It is the foundation upon which we stand with confidence. But it is also the structure that calls us to live our lives a certain way. We see that the people of Israel feared because of the neighboring peoples. So they engage God daily. They make it a practice to begin and end their days coming to God with offerings. Do we begin each day 
coming before God, praising and glorifying him, thanking him that we have been blessed with another day. Do we come to him at the end of the day when we are tired, perhaps preoccupied with what has happened during the day, and praise him and glorify him for his blessings? In the moments of fear and anxiety that we all know is our first response to come back to God in worship. Our world is uncertain. Things are changing. The way that we as the church practice and live out our faith might look different from the outside. But our access to God has not changed. And perhaps this season is actually an opportunity for us to really distill down our relationship with God to its simplest form, which is just that, our relationship with God, us coming to worship God and to receive his love and his promises. Trusting that if that foundation is solid, if we come and we truly base ourselves on the rock of our salvation, on God, that God will build things back. They might look different, but his promise to his people that he will save us is true and good, and we can have hope and confidence in it. But we have to make sure that we are on the right foundation. Now we see that as they did begin building, the builders laid the foundation and I love the picture that is painted in verse 10. It says, The priests in their vestments were stationed to praise the Lord with trumpets, and the Levites with cymbals. That word stationed kind of brings to mind for me this image of all of these Levites in their big gowns that we read about in earlier in Scripture, just ready. They're anticipating the moment that the foundation is set so that they can praise God for it. They are in the midst of destruction and they are taking just this very small step of laying the foundation of what used to be a magnificent temple. And yet they're not even waiting to celebrate until it's done. All of the preparations have been made and all of the priests are on standby so that the moment it's done, they can start celebrating and praising God for his faithfulness. Again, that calls us to reflect in our own lives 
how much of our lives are structured around praising and glorifying God. When you finish a task at your job, when a class at school is done and you're preparing to go to the next one, are we eagerly anticipating, celebrating that God was faithful and we took that step? Is praising God such a part of our lives that we don't even really have to wait and think about it? We don't need reminders. But that every task we are in the midst of doing, we are already thinking ahead to how we can praise God for its completion. I think we in the church, like many outside of the church as well, fall into this habit of just going through our days, of checking things off a list. We can hear about the tasks or the ministries or the callings that God has laid before us. And maybe we celebrate them. But I think sometimes we fall into this trap of seeing it as one more thing to do. As one more thing that takes up our time and our energy. And the last thing we feel like doing when it's done is taking time to praise and worship God. And yet, this morning, Ezra calls us to just that. It wasn't that the people of Israel had nothing better to do. They had an entire city to rebuild. The wall of Jerusalem has not been rebuilt. They are in dread of their neighbors. There is more for them to do than they could hope to accomplish that day or that week. And yet, they take the necessary time to celebrate God's faithfulness, to pause after making one tiny step of progress, to remind themselves that it all comes back to God and that as his people, we are called to come with right worship on our hearts and our minds. Everything else is extra. The buildings, the programs, the accomplishments, that is all beside the point. As Pastor Gordon mentioned last week, the Westminster Shorter Catechism tells us that the chief end of man and woman is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's it. It's not to attend church service twice on Sunday. It's not to run Sunday school. It's not to have the best outreach program, have the best Bible studies. It's not to be the best speaker. Those might be fruits of the growth that God gives us, but the chief end 
our main purpose, the foundation upon which we are called to build our lives and our church communities is relationship with God. And we engage in that through worshiping God, through praising and glorifying him, and enjoying being in God's presence. That is a lot harder to do than running Sunday school, than writing a sermon. I will be the first to admit that it can be difficult to simply set aside time to just enjoy God. To make it a part of every task that I do to see how that task is a blessing. To praise God through the midst of that toil. And to be willing to embrace a Sabbath lifestyle so that in all things I remind myself it all comes back to God. We are nothing without the foundation of God upon which we build our lives. That foundation is all that God promises us, that he will be there, that God is that God of love and mercy, a God of grace who offers us forgiveness in Jesus Christ. That is what we can hold on to. The rest of it, we might draw comfort from the programs, from the small groups, but those are going to change over time. The only thing that stays the same is the foundation. And the book of Ezra accounts for that as well. We read at the end of the chapter how all of the people that had been gathered were ready for this time of celebration, this time when the foundation of the temple is laid. And there is great praising that takes place. But there is also great weeping. Those who had seen the original temple in all its glory see the foundation of the new one. And they know that things will never be the same. It is an ending for them of what was past. And they know that they are being called into a new future. And in honesty, they come before God and they weep. They lament what was. And I would imagine that they also lament in some ways the fear of what will be because it is not what they knew in the past. Our Heavenly Father promises us a firm foundation upon which to base our lives. But if anything scripture actually promises us that everything else 
will fall. Everything else will change. The seasons are going to turn. We're going to face seasons of hardship and trial, of death and of grief. And all that we can cling to is that foundation. So we, as God's people, though we celebrate God's faithfulness and we show our gratitude for the new opportunities and the new blessings that God gives us, we as God's people are also called to grieve and to lament because that is the only way that we can let go of what is behind us. That we can say, I stand on Christ alone and let everything else go. It is our nature to hold on to things, to want to build structures in our lives that give us comfort and a sense of security. But unless it is of God, it will not stand. And rather than being swept away every time something changes, we are called to come right back to this foundation of God and to celebrate and weep. It's not mentioned that anyone was reprimanded for weeping. Instead, we hear that it is all this great sound that goes up together, the weeping and the shouting for joy, and probably shouting in anger and hurt as well. There is this great, honest noise that is lifted up to God. That is the picture of a true community coming back to the foundation in God. And that is the challenge for us as a community of believers today to acknowledge that we are based on Christ alone. To embrace the reality of the changing seasons around us. And to find healthy ways to lament what we are called to let go of. So that we can celebrate and embrace the new things that God is doing in our midst. Because our hope and our faith is not in our buildings, is not in our programs, but is solely in the grace of Jesus Christ. It is in the cross. And when we truly follow Jesus, there are going to be seasons where we are going into new places and meeting new people. We are called to develop new skills and to trust God in ways we never have before. But we know that God will be faithful through it all. So we praise and we glorify and we weep and we lament. We shape our days and our rhythms around worship of God, who is that firm foundation. 
we come to God to receive his blessings, to receive his love and his grace, and to glorify and honor him. But we also come with weariness, with sorrow, with uncertainty. And so it is God who knows that we are physical beings, that we often need tangible reminders of that firm foundation that God offers. So one of the rituals that we are invited to shape our lives around is that of the Lord's Supper. We, as physical beings, need these reminders that our nourishment, both physical and spiritual, comes from God alone. And that our God is a gracious host who has set a table for all of us and who graciously invites us in.